Seinfeld, the Cigar Store Indian is over, but we are just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recaps. And now, here are the two guys who are working on a coffee table book about podcasts. I'm Rob Sestrin. Here's Keith Winokur. Keith, how are you? Or should we just do a podcast about coffee table books? Is that easier? Oh. Well, we should do a podcast about coffee tables. What do you think? A podcast about coffee tables, but not coffee table books. What if we do... A podcast about coffee table books about podcasts. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I suspect there are more coffee table books about podcasts than there are podcasts about coffee tables. I mean, you, it's probably they're probably tied at zero, but I don't know. There's some real niche podcasts out there, so. Okay, so we will see. So anyway, we will talk about the Cigar Store Indian and an episode that I think is one of the ones that does not hold up particularly well from 1993 to modern times. But we will talk about it in great detail here on Seinfeld, uh, the post-show recap, a podcast about nothing. Kiva, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great. Why do you think this doesn't hold up well? Oh, I think that we're spending a lot of our time in our plot point. In addition to uh, talking about 1993 political correctness, uh, we're also dealing with a plot point centered around TV Guide, the periodical. So I think that all around, there are many things in this episode that are not going to hold. Uh, yeah, that's fair. I do feel like people who are young wouldn't even understand like what TV Guide is. <laughs> and, like why anybody would, you know, order it and if it still exists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we could debate as we go through this episode, uh, which is uh, more problematic if you were going to make a 2015 version of this episode. But here we are, Kiva, to talk about uh, the episode from December 9th, 1993. We're almost ready to close the book on 1993 in our Seinfeld recap. Oh boy, 94 is a big year for Seinfeld. Yeah, huge year. And we are even creeping up to the halfway point of Seinfeld. Yeah, a couple double episodes and we'll be there before you know it. Be there before you know it. Okay. So Akiva... Before we jump into talking about uh, the Cigar Store Indian, uh, anything uh, from news or social media you want to hit on? Sure. Well, I'll give you the uh, social media uh, Seinfeld tweet of the week. Okay. What do you got? I know you like when we get political on this uh, on this talk. Oh, so, always. So we got uh, Sean McGuire. I don't know who he is, but he's verified, so he must be important. He tweeted, now we finally know who did the voice for Steinbrenner and Seinfeld. You got me at Senator, at Senator Sanders. I always thought it was Larry David. Hashtag Democrat debate. Okay. Did you watch any of that Democratic debate? I didn't. I didn't because the Mets were playing. And even if they weren't playing, like I, I, I'm not interested in either debate. I, I feel like the debates are generally a waste of time. And you could find out what was said on Twitter in about 30 seconds afterwards. Yeah. But I did see a clip today just because everyone was talking about Bernie Sanders' funny voice. And he really sounds exactly like Larry David's George Steinbrenner impression on Seinfeld. It's incredible. Okay, well, I will go back and go for the uh, voice double and see uh, what we can hear in terms of uh, Bernie Sanders. Um, lots of people live tweeting uh, the debates on both sides. Lots of people with uh, righteous indignation uh, live tweeting the debates. Seems like whatever party you're the opposite of, that's the one you really hammer on the live debate. It's true. If you're a Democrat, you can go out to dinner during the Democratic debate, but the Republican debate, you're staying at home and firing off some missives and, and vice versa. People, if you ask them questions on both sides of the aisle, if you ask them like specific questions about the issues, I'm not sure they could answer them, but people have a lot of opinions on Twitter about the debates. Oh, absolutely. They should just hold the next debate on Twitter. That, by the way, it's not a bad idea. It'd be huge. I think that'd be really good. 
Uh, do you want to hear a little bit of uh, Bernie Sanders talking to get the uh, Bernie Sanders as George Steinbrenner? Yeah, I really think he's doing an impression of Larry. So let's hear it. All right. So let me just uh, pull up any clip of uh, Bernie Sanders talking. So tell me what it means to be a socialist. A democratic socialist. <laughs> what it means is that one takes a hard look at countries around the world who have success records in fighting and implementing programs for the middle class and working families. Okay. I could see it. Yeah. It, 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 for whatever reason with the mics, it was much more pronounced because people have heard him talk before last night, but uh, last night it just sounded during the debate. It sounded exactly like LD, <laughs> but he really does have, and he has like all these crazy facial expressions. He's uh He's pretty entertaining, uh, Bernie Sanders. Yeah. I did see a meme on Twitter during the debate where somebody had a picture of Bernie Sanders and it just said, Calzone! Let's say you were running for president, right? Okay. And the debate was last night. Let's say you're, you're a Democrat running for president and the Mets were playing, you know, their biggest game in a decade. What do you do? Do you say like, uh, you know, do you tell like Anderson Cooper at the start, like no spoilers and run off afterwards? Do you skip the debate? It would be very hard to be like a uh, president or an important person and be a big sports fan. You know, the thing that I have learned as a grown up now rooting for a sports team, it's like, you know, you have your work and then you have your sports team. And if you can figure out a way to make it work, you do everything possible. But at the end of the day, your sports team isn't going to pay your bills and you have to take care of business. Oh, no. And I know that that is uh, a very adult worldview <laughs> that I have. I was going to say lame, but you could say adult. That's fine. I don't think that you can do something that's going to seriously hurt your career to watch a sporting event. Okay, that's fair. I do think, but like, I, you know, I'm the type of person who would miss, you know, a cousin's wedding for a big jet game. Yeah. But, but yeah, I agree. And I have, you know, I did that when I was like eight. How big of a jet game? Like they're five and five and it's November. <laughs> and also when, the, because we root for teams that frequently have really significant down periods. Yeah. You know, that when they're good, you want to like savor those moments and you want to watch those games and they're few and far between. You don't know. It could be another decade before they get back to the playoffs. Look, I get it. I get it. And I remember racing home for the late innings of game seven of the 2006 NLCS and getting into a fight with my boss at the time over that because I just wanted to get out of there. And he, and he was like calling me out on not being serious about what we were working on. And I really couldn't have cared less about what we were working on at the time. And I remember being like pissed off at like one of Nicole's cousins wedding because it was the Sunday night of a subway series. So I, I definitely get it. But if it comes down to major repercussions in your career versus seeing a sporting event, that's not, you know, game seven or the Super Bowl of, you know, you, you got to take care of business. Yeah. I mean, the thing is like the more teams you follow and the crazier you are about it, sort of the more conflicts you have, like the, the person yeah. who doesn't, who's like, you know, all 17 football Sundays every year are non-negotiable. Like I won't go out with my family. I won't do this. Like maybe the week my team is on a buy. It's, it's hard, but let me tell you, it can be done. It is difficult. <laughs> all right. So more on that to come uh, and uh, check out Akiva on uh, 32 fans in 32 days for uh, more of those tips. Let's get into Cigar Store Indian from uh, December 9th, 1993 season five, episode 10 written by Tom Gamble and Max Pross. Yeah, the team of Gamble and Pross. They wrote the glasses earlier this year. OK, so here we are back with the uh, Cigar Store Indian uh, we start off with Jerry talking about stand up about his dad and uh, how dads are just stuck in the same year 
going forward, whatever was the best year of their lives, and then they decided to sort of stop there and continue to buy new old clothes. Akiva, is this a thing? I do like this, and it, I think it doesn't just apply to clothes. Like, think about your grandparents or your parents, and like even the like the, their manner of speech, and like you know how do they say something is great? Like what what sort of like slang adjectives do they use? Do they say like awesome, and like then maybe they're like best year was like the mid nineties, you know, or because we're not going to, you know, grown ups, somebody who's like 60 is not going to, you know, keep up with the times. They're not going to be like, oh man, that cheesecake was really on fleek. They're going to say like whatever was, you know, the thing to say back in the, you know, seventies or eighties or whatever, you know, unless their kids make fun of them or correct them and they'll stop saying that. Like I know somebody who still says duh and not, they say duh and not a lot. Like, you know, that was a great point. Not duh holds up a lot better than not. Right. Yeah. So uh, you think duh holds up better? I think duh is like a grown up cannot say duh. <laughs> I think a grown up can say so, duh before they say not. I not did come back with Borat for like six months. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think it's gone again. I think it is long gone. So yeah. I, I do think there's something there where like you, whatever your like best time was, that's, you know, those are the words you use. And Listen, we're going to be old and our kids are going to make fun of us for not knowing what's cool. Certainly makes sense. So then Jerry talks about how he doesn't like trying on pants at the store. He says that the way you should try pants is that you should check your pants at the store and walk around in your underwear to try on whatever pants you want. Is this a practical or impractical idea, Akiva? I mean, someone should try it. Someone should open up like a men's clothing store and say like, all right. This is a brutal idea. (laughs) I would never go shop at this store. Just people walking around in their underwear? A bunch of men walking around in their underwear. It's like some sort of like locker room store. I know. And it's not like a men only store. Not that men can't walk around in their underwear in front of women, but like it is a little weird. And then I feel like women wouldn't want to bring their, you know, significant others or whatever to go shopping. Right. They, it would just be like awkward. Um, but I do think like it is. He is right. Like when you're in the changing room, you're tying on some like itchy pair of pants or something like that. And it's like you're you know, there's like two feet and there's like a train over your head. It's not fun. It's not fun, but no, I don't think that this is the answer to go and go to the no pants store. The solution is just don't try it on. Just take it home, and if it doesn't fit, bring it back. You could return it or lose weight. That's all right. or or gain weight, whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, I like buy pants too big, and then I gain weight to fit into them. Yeah, it's perfect. All right, so Jerry and Elaine, we start off in George's parents' house, and they're trying to describe the smell in the house. Jerry describes it as dandruff, and Elaine counters with kasha. And does dandruff have a smell? Yeah, I was that was like one of my notes. I don't think dandruff has a smell. Yeah, and so apparently George's parents are out of town. Do we ever get closure on where they went? We don't. We know it was a two-week trip, and it seems like it was some sort of vacation. But maybe they were going to visit. They probably went to Florida to visit some sibling that we never hear of. Yeah, I feel like this was uncharacteristic of the Costanzas to go on this kind of trip. Yeah, it must have been some like, you know, you want it on the radio or clearly he didn't spend any money on it. So it's very possible they were going to Florida. You know, we see them, of course, going to Florida, you know, permanently in in, uh, later seasons. So I think uh, maybe they're visiting somebody in Florida. Well, there's a couple of problems during the visit of the gang to uh, George's parents' house. Kramer is using the guest soap in the bathroom. He doesn't see that as a problem because he's a guest. Akiva, do you have any bathrooms in your house that have guest soap? I mean, maybe, but I like I don't know what the I don't have any of that Apple stuff. I feel like that's very like 80s, Mm -hmm. like all the fruit shape, you know, things that look like fruit, but aren't fruit that you can't bite into. (laughs) Yeah, like that's out. So Jerry ends up putting his coffee cup on the coffee table appropriately 
and George is upset because it leaves a mark on the table. Now, Akiva, does that happen with hot drinks? You think it's only cold drinks? Pretty sure. I mean, have you ever had that happen where you put like a cup of hot coffee on a table and it leaves a ring? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. I don't know. I feel like coasters are for hot and cold, but I could be wrong. I, I definitely think that it could be for hot, but I'm not sure. If, is that, does that happen with wood on? Maybe we got to get one of our listeners to tell us. With We need a wood correspondent. Certainly, if you had like an ice cold drink, you put it on, on the wood. There's condensation on the glass. That's going to leave a mark. But if you had like a cup of hot coffee, and you put it on the table. Is that is that leaving a mark? Maybe was there coffee on the side of it? Was it a wet cup? And this must be a question that fascinates Larry because this is like at least one episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm has a has like a you know a stain with a with a you know a cup or a glass on the uh, on a table. Sure, plenty of talk about do you respect wood? And so uh, Jerry gets caught here by George. They also they had gone bowling during the day. Does that strike you as odd? I mean, these are people with nothing to do. So, no, Elaine, they have one job between the four of them. Yeah. That, and it could be a weekend, right? We're just in Queens bowling. Yeah, you can't go bowling in Manhattan. People who respect bowling don't go in Manhattan. <laughs> There's no good bowling in Manhattan. Let me assure you. OK, so they were off bowling. And now J- Elaine has to get back because she's hosting a poker game at her house. But George needs to take the coffee table to go get refinished before his parents get back. Yeah, look at all these guys having hobbies that they never have again, <laughs> bowling and poker. Yeah. And the reason why he has to get the table refinished is because uh, George's parents told him no parties while they were gone. Why can't George just take the blame for it himself? I don't know, but I did think it was very funny. Because yeah, later on in the episode, when he gets busted for having sex in his parents' bed, he cops to that very quickly. He doesn't even <laughs> attempt to lie about that, but the, this uh, coffee table caper, he's willing to go get the table refinished. Yeah, I mean, I guess Jerry's paying for it, right? So George is not cheap with other people's money. I guess so. So they're going to go off, and uh, Elaine is going to take the subway with Kramer to go back to the city, to go back to her apartment. Jerry has to take George to go get the coffee table refinished. Jerry is also interested in this poker game because there is a woman named Winona who Jerry is taken with. She broke up with the vitamin guy. Do you think that means that he takes a lot of vitamins <laughs> or he owns like a vitamin shoppy or or he's like a vitamin mogul? <laughs> I get the sense that he's some sort of vitamin mogul, but I didn't even consider the fact that maybe he's just a guy on a lot of vitamins. Because I know people, I know someone who's like obsessed with vitamins and it's a very expensive habit. Is vitamin, is there anything to taking vitamins? I've ne- I haven't taken a vitamin since a Flintstone vitamin. Yeah. And when I told that to the person who's obsessed with vitamins, they looked at me like, well, it's a miracle you're still alive. So I'm not sure. (laughs) I'd like to be taking vitamins. If I knew which vitamins to take, I would take them. But I get the sense, and I've tried to do a tiny bit of research, they say, like, unless you're like a really old person, like multivitamin doesn't do anything. I mean, the Flintstones vitamins, I remember them tasting really good. Yeah. So maybe, uh, maybe like buy them for your kids, but then eat them yourself. Yeah. So... I don't know. If somebody out there, do we have a vitamin expert in the audience? Do we have a vitamin? Yeah, that's a good question. And maybe a doctor would know also. Maybe our doctors should tell us. But I don't know if they can give us that sort of, uh, you know, advice without uh, having some sort of like a regulatory board saying, like, hey, you can't be giving out that sort of advice on the podcast. Oh, or like you're not allowed to give medical advice on podcasts or podcasts regulated? I have no idea. I feel like this is the Wild West. You could do whatever you want if you're a doctor. Yeah, what does Dr. Oz do? Yeah, he just gives fake, you know, information. (laughs) He gives information all day. I'm sure it's very credible. We don't want Dr. Oz to come kill us. No. (laughs) 
I like that we're talking about Dr. Oz the same way we're talking about uh, <laughs> Joel Rifkin and OJ Listen, Simpson. he might not see the thing is Dr. Oz isn't crazy necessarily like a Joel Rifkin, <laughs> but he has the means to, to wipe us out without anybody knowing what happened if he wants to. I guess so. What is he like Hannibal Lecter? No, but if you're that rich, I feel like you can you can off someone and nobody would know. I guess so. He could just rub us out like that. You ever read a news story and it's like so and so was caught. Uh, you know, like hiring a like a um like a hitman to kill a person. You never you, you ever like right. see what they pay? It's always like a really pathetic amount, like twelve thousand five hundred dollars, or you know, like five hundred dollars and a new uh, kitchen table. Like the you know, so if you're Doctor Oz, you could get like a really good hitman. You could get us just totally just rubbed out without even like batting an eye. Nobody would know. People would be like, hey, yeah. what happened to Rob? How come the podcast hasn't been out in like two weeks? And no one would ever. Somebody would do it just as a favor to him, basically. <laughs> Okay, so Elaine needs something to read on the subway. And again, we've talked about this a number of times in our rewatch of Seinfeld of what torture it must have been in a pre iPhone iPad era to be on any sort of public transportation. Yeah, although they did have like Walkman at least then. So you could listen to a tape probably in November 93. Yeah, I guess you could listen to a mixtape on the subway. You have to have someone give you the mixtape. Yeah, Elaine ends up taking the TV guide, the Al Roker TV guide collector's item collector's item all right so we see elaine on the subway and kramer is talking about this idea for the coffee table book the coffee table conversation at george's parents house inspired him he wants to make a coffee table book about coffee tables elaine says that she'll talk to her boss about it but she does not ever do so a big mistake on her part so we end up also having a plot point come into play about there is a certain station where they sell gyros where you could get off the subway grab a gyro and get back on Akiva. Is this in any way, shape or form feasible? Okay. So in terms of subways, I think Queens, none of the stations are big enough that you could get like uh, hot food at them. It wouldn't be worth the person's while, you know, to sell them. There are definitely places in Manhattan where you can, I don't think they let you have hot food, but there, there are definitely like giant, you know, magazine stands just like between two trains. So in theory, yes, like in, it's very possible that there were, you know, food thing, food stands like underground, but only at really popular train stations. So do you think, is this a real thing? Was this based on fact in any way, shape it's or form? It's possible, but there's no way if you've ever been on the subway that you could go out, get anything, even like a newspaper that somebody was holding and give them a quarter or something like there's no way you could get anything, even if there's no line and get back on a subway like the subway doors open for 10 seconds, I think. I feel like it's longer than 10 seconds. I feel like uh, you probably got like 15. Yeah, okay, but yeah, but not substantially Because a lot of longer. people come out and you sort of like, you sort of standing there for a while and then waiting for people to come out and then you get, and then you get back in. And clear the closing doors, please. But I think, I, I just, there's no way you could ever get a gyro. Somebody time that for us. Somebody who listens to this podcast in the uh, greater Manhattan area. Like, give us the time on that. Is it equal? Yeah, Chester. You Chester could time it today. Yeah. The, are all stations the same? Also depends. Like some, the door is like I think they close together. So if someone's like blocking a door, then they like open and shut until you know the the person is out of the way. So every door opens and closes. I think so. I haven't been on the subway in like a few months, but I th- I think uh, I think that's how it is. But it's really not a long period of time. There's no way you could get food. Okay, so Kramer goes to go get the gyro. He says you got to have the money ready. Three dollars for a gyro. Does that sound like a good deal? In, I feel like in 93, that's actually pretty expensive for a gyro. But now it sounds like a good deal. Yeah. Have you ever had a gyro? I don't even really know what's in there. I think them. I've had it. I think it's sort of like, uh, you know, 
sort of like an open uh, sandwich that's uh, sort of like, uh, I think a gyro is good. I don't know if I... If I do you know what shawarma is or you, you don't know oh, I know what, what that is, yeah. So that's very similar to a gyro, I feel like. Yeah, I'm not so similar. <laughs> you know, I used to work in an office building that had like on like a food court. And calling it a food court is a way making it sound better. There was like a snack bar down the stairs, like on like the first floor. And they had sort of like uh, like shawarma going on. And there were just like flies on it. And then eventually like, oh, boy. like the Board of Health just like shut that place down. <laughs> like. So you have a bad taste in your yeah, mouth from I the flesh. Image I can't get out. Shawarma is also like the worst food. First of all, you can't eat it in an office because it smells up everything. Mm-hmm. You know, you like the person making it like smells like shawarma for the rest of their life after one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not. It's not like an. It's not a work food. It's like an eat at home food. Yeah. So anyway, so Kramer goes to get off, and then he can't get back on the train. His arm gets stuck. So if that happened, would the doors come back open or is that a realistic experience for Kramer? No, the doors open because there's a sensor, I think. And plus there's a guy looking. But the question is, would they open enough for him to actually get in? Mm. When you're stuck, though, I I do think like you'll you'll generally get the guy's attention and he'll let you in. He'll be he'll give you like a scowl, but he'll let you in. Okay, the guy comes over and takes the gyro from Kramer's hand. Is that plausible? Do you see that as a realistic scenario? Not today, but in 93. And nobody like calls him on it. Nobody on the train, even Elaine, isn't like, hey, l- at least let me have the gyro. That's my friend's gyro. I'll give this back to him later. It's it, like, th- do you feel like this whole stealing the gyro thing is a little too unrealistic for what we've come uh, become used to in like the Seinfeld universe? No, because the Seinfeld universe portrays the subway as very dangerous. That's true. So early 90s subway is the Wild West. Giuliani so, just so, got elected. Yeah, that's true. He has not cleaned up the streets yet. And the uh, streets yeah. happen before the subway. All right. And even today, you got you have rats running around with pizza. You could have a person stealing a gyro. And pigeons, sure. Anyway, so we end up then with Elaine striking up a conversation with a guy, sort of a nerdy guy. Did you like this character? I mean, I, I, I remember like, uh, like thinking that he was so awkward that it was painful to watch when I was a kid. Dude, did you ever watch Scrubs? No, I, I've seen, I mean, I've seen a little bit of it, but I wasn't a, wa- a regular watcher of it. So he's like the pathetic lawyer on Scrubs. Okay. He's a regular, though. Okay. So he, he really does a good job. If he's not the nerdiest person in the world in real life, he does, the actor does a good job of like... Sam Lloyd is his name. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you don't like him from your question. <laughs> no, he was fine. <laughs> I didn't, at least that he was an interesting character and they stuck to what was sort of like, he wasn't just annoying. He was like a guy who was like really TV obsessed and he sees a woman in the subway reading a TV guide and then he falls in love with her. Like, I, I kind of feel like, uh, you know, he, he's annoying, but I sort of, I respect the character. Yeah, he's he is annoying, but he has like a purpose in life. Yeah. And the way he says Lucy uh, is a little annoying. Yeah, I, I hated that. Um, <laughs> but like Lucy show, Lucy hour. I did hate that when I was a kid, I remember. Okay. So this guy is with Elaine. He's like over her shoulder. And basically she tells him, you could just take the TV guide. Again, he's a TV obsessed. And he sees this woman reading a TV guide nowhere near a TV and figures that this is the perfect woman uh, for him. So he also says when Kramer can't get back on the subway about how <laughs> oh, I see your boyfriend uh, couldn't get back on. She's like, oh, he's not my boyfriend. It's like, oh, that's interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I also like the highlighter. Did, did people did people really highlight the shows they wanted to watch back then? I guess some people did. I mean, how many shows are you watching that you can't just like have a like nowadays it's a thousand times harder because shows come on for six weeks and then they go away for 18 months. You know, now you really need the TV. I have, a, I have a spreadsheet. You won't be so surprised of like the active shows that I watch. So I don't like 
hey, whatever happened to like Fargo? I haven't seen that. And like, I missed the whole season, you know? What do you mean you have an active spreadsheet? I, I have a list of the shows that are currently on that I watch. And what do you do with that list? Like, so you don't forget to watch something? So like, I'll check it every like few, every few weeks, not every few weeks, but I'll check it like every six months and make sure like, hey, like, you know, I'll cut it off. It's like, oh, the office ended. Like I could take that off the list then. Uh, or I stopped watching Homeland a couple years ago. It's terrible. Like I could take that off the list. So it's some sort of like cathartic moment for you when you say, oh, Homeland, you really screwed the pooch on this one. You're off the list. Yeah, I think um, it. it fe- and, and then what I'll do is I'll bold. I will. I'll bold like any show that's on now. Um, you know, when I when I put it on. So that's, uh, you know, so I can. OK, fine. And then I'll figure out like, all right, Wednesday, I got these four shows and Thursday, I got these two. Wow. It's not that many shows, but the schedules back then were, you know, a show starts September 20th and it ends May 15th. Right. And there's no cable shows back then. It was super easy. Mm-hmm. So anyone yeah. who needed a highlighter was an idiot. Like, what are you? Ooh, for, don't forget to watch Sports Center to find out who won the game. Yeah. But if you grew up in the era of, OK, there's 13 channels. And now you're in this 1993. Okay, I have cable. I have 55 channels now. Now I need to like. It probably was overwhelming for Frank Costanza, who started collecting the TV guide. Uh, that's a little bit more of an interesting story. Of I guess he went from nothing to having no having radio to saying what? Now there's a listing of these four shows that are on. I got to pick out each one. What a, what a decision I have to make. All right. Do you want to hear the list I have of all the active shows? Okay. Quickly. <laughs> all right. Nathan for you. Okay. Inside Amy Schumer, Louie, Game of Thrones, Survivor, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Saturday Night Live. That's a hard one to forget because on Saturday night. The League, South Park, which uh, uh, the League is done. The League is terrible. Uh, Girls, Hard Knocks. That's a ridiculous thing to be on the list. Uh, Real World, Real World Rolls Rules Challenge. I really should skip a few of these. <laughs> really? Well, that's a shock. I, I, I think we discussed this once. I li- I'm a big challenge guy. I like the challenge. Uh, Review, Broad City, Top Chef, uh, Big Brother, Fargo, Walking Dead, Jeopardy. I watch Jeopardy every day. Uh, the Genius. I guess that I could probably cross that off the list. That's it. That's the whole list. That's it. Okay. Yeah, because I cut out most of like the one hour shows. I feel like a lot of shows like I like the leftovers, but I gave up on it fast. And shows like Homeland and a lot of these shows were I gave it a, a true detective by, by like the first episode of season two. I'm out. You're out on the leftovers or are you back in? Uh, I was out by the first season. But a lot of these shows like my standards are, are much higher now. My, I feel like my time is more valuable. All right. So back to TV Guide. Uh, Elaine has left the TV Guide with this guy. And it's a little bit like a Cinderella story of this man is going to uh, seek out Elaine. But he is Frank Costanza's address. So uh, that's where he thinks Elaine lives. Yeah, but who does he think F. Costanza is if he knows Elaine is? Does he know her name is Elaine? Yeah, he says, I'm here to see Elaine when he knocks on their door. Maybe. So who's F. Costanza? Like, he knows she's not married. Maybe it's like one of those, like, friends things with, like, Chandler, Rama, Bong, where... Oh, yeah, that's true. I guess nobody gets, like, the real uh, the real name, you know, for their... Uh, yeah, it could have been a typo. Uh, I know my Sports Illustrated, Wienerker can't fit, so it, it always says Wiener Koo for, like, the last 20 years. Yeah. So then let's go back to Jerry in this uh, shop. There was a little scene that we skipped through to stick with the subway stuff. So Jerry is in the store as they are sort of getting the table refinished. He wants to get Elaine a gift. And somehow Jerry seems to think that a good gift for Elaine to make up for her being upset that she possibly could not have gotten a ride back with Jerry to the city is to get her a cigar store Indian from this furniture refinishing store. Well, is the crazy thing what he buys, or is the crazy thing 
that he wants to buy Elaine a present to impress a third person. That's not as crazy to me. He's like, he wants an excuse to sort of drop in to the poker game so he could see Winona. And then he wants to give Elaine something and come off looking like uh, that. That part's not super insane. It's a little creepy, but whatever. It's fine. The idea that he would think Elaine would want this cigar store Indian and the fact that he would be so oblivious to the fact of Winona's American Indian heritage to do this, like, like considering the people that we're talking about, like, don't you think that would come up? Yeah, because he knows Winona, right? He know, like, he knows her beforehand. They even say, like, you know each other. He wants to get with Winona. He has a crush yeah, on and, Winona. You, and he was, he was waiting out the vitamin guy. <laughs> based on <laughs> that, we know, we know these people. Like, they definitely had this conversation. About, right, they probably referred to her as like, oh, Winona, she's like the Indian one or something. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure in Jerry and Elaine's conversations, they talked about that. Like, uh, like, well, what's her background? Also, because it's so unique, it's not like I'm not saying that they would like single out everyone who's like, oh, that's the person from Mexico, and that's but like it's so you know you don't just like see so many Native American people that you know you wouldn't mention like, oh yeah, she's Native American. Like, it's a fun fact at the very least. It seems incredulous to think that Jerry would not know this and would be so oblivious. Maybe he's colorblind, Rob. I mean, perhaps. I mean, that would be some sort of like logical explanation to everything that happens in this episode. But it just seems so wacky that he would, you know, sort of like the reason why he's bringing this here. It's not like he got this as a joke gift and then he brought Winona back to his house and forgot it was there. He's buying this thing to take to Elaine's house to give to, to present to Elaine. And then he makes all sort of like inappropriate, like Indian puns in the card that he wants to have read at the poker game in front of everybody. Yeah, it's not a great look. It's just, it's so crazy that then it's like, Oh, and should, should this be Jor like, so is, you know, he's our sort of hero and he's, you know, supposed to be vanilla and the people doing most of like the stupid or evil things are supposed to be the Georges and the Elaines. Mm -hmm. So should they have had George be the one here? Who's this is much like, more of a George story. I think that's a good yeah, point. So I think that's right. Like, why, why do you want your, um, your like protagonist to like, even though most of it is like accidental, like the stuff with like the reservation and stuff, you know, like, Hey, make a reservation and, and, and that sort of thing. That's not Jerry being racist at all. That's just him being like extra careful because it's on his mind. Yeah. Right. But right. But this, you know, why is Jerry getting into this pickle to begin with? Right. Um, so you're right. I think this is more of a George storyline. I think Jerry comes off as incredibly insensitive in this issue. But I think it's worth saying it's worth mentioning. Like these are not good people. And like we've seen this, you know, dozens of times already. Like we can't expect too much from the Jerry. You know, we we know that George is bad. But like Jerry and Elaine, in this in this episode alone, Elaine shoves an old lady for no reason. Yeah. So, so like Jerry and Elaine are not uh, are not uh, innocent at all. <laughs> all right. So uh, Jerry in the store tells the guy that uh, he's interested in this cigar store in the end, and they're looking at it. And so there is a woman who works in the store. Do we get this woman's name? Sylvia. Sylvia. And Sylvia is the woman from Queens who works in the store. And uh, she sees uh, Jerry's car and uh, is wondering, you know, if they're from around here. And no, Jerry's from the city. And she didn't think so because uh, she didn't think there's any cool guys that live around here. 
Yeah, George's face is kind of uh, fantastic here, where he's like yeah. lighting up. I love this storyline about George with the woman and and uh, bringing you know his parents' house and ultimately getting grounded. I really I think that this is so funny. All of this stuff. Yeah. Oh, this definitely saves like the episode from being a total dud for sure. Yeah. And so uh, I just love that she says, "I didn't think any cool guys lived in this neighborhood." And George is like, "Oh, well, obviously you didn't know about us." She also seems like a foot taller than George. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you know it's funny because uh, we have uh, Marissa Tomei come up in and that's this season right that's on that's uh around the corner yeah yeah and i feel like that this is very much a marissa tomei my cousin Vinny type character oh i haven't seen that in a while oh okay well i think that that's so i think it feels like that's what they're going for uh with this woman who works in the uh furniture store but anyway <laughs> talking about like how he is a collector and that's why that they need the cigar store indian george says about that that we are collectors uh, we see objects of great beauty and we must have them. Yeah, and but it's very like uh, there's like innuendo. Like, I don't know if Sylvia sees through it. But, a lot of uh, swagger there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of swag. Okay. So Elaine is at the poker game. Are you buying 1993 ladies night poker game? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely like there. There are definitely people that were having poker games. They weren't very sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Like 2015, Rob could have cleaned house, you know, like 90 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was before poker was on TV. Right. Free TV poker era. Are you buying Elaine and like four or five of her girlfriends having poker night? From what we know with Elaine, I could believe Elaine goes to a poker night. I'm not sure if it would be like six women. It's possible. But I, I, it's hard to believe that Elaine is running the poker night. Yeah. Like it's her idea. Hard to believe that Elaine has like a circle of like female friends that they do a poker, not even just like a, a one time poker night. Seems like that this is like an ongoing thing. My friends and I were so poker obsessed before the, you know, Chris Moneymaker ESPN poker boom that we used to order the like once, you know, like the final table of the World Series of Poker like uh, videos every year and watch them and like study them like the Zapruder film because. That's the only poker you could ever see. Mm-hmm. They didn't even have the whole cards, I don't think yet. Um, but we'd watch, uh, we'd watch every like every year, and we, you know, we like 1999. You like right away for it. But that's how crazy we were. Okay, all right. So here comes Jerry. He comes in with the cigar store Indian. Cigar store Indian does not seem super heavy for Jerry. It looks huge though. It looks huge. It looks like it would weigh easily 50, 60 pounds. Oh, maybe more even. Yeah. Yeah. For Jerry, it's like, uh, you know, moving it around like styrofoam. I mean, he's been doing Pilates. I guess so. So here he comes and he wants Elaine to read the card. And again, he's like, oh, I'm just such a generous person. And I want to give Elaine this gift. People are like, Elaine, is it your birthday? No, 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 no. It's just something I want to give her. What does the card say that Jerry wants Elaine to read in front of everybody? I mean, I, I think it's basically like he does some Native American chant. Yes. Uh, it, but uh, the card says, we had a little fight this afternoon. Let's bury the hatchet. We smoke a peace pipe. Yeah. And so <laughs> we end up seeing now that uh, Winona is like, I should go. So Winona ends up leaving. And uh, Elaine says to Jerry, are you out of your mind? Winona is Native American. And just the fact that there's a Native American there isn't like if something is offensive, right? You shouldn't do it even if they're not there, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't know if that really changed. I mean, it hurts her feelings, so it's worse, I guess. But yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't have absolved Jerry even if like the other friend there was not Native American. <laughs> All right. 
<laughs> so now we see George back at the house with Sylvia. Should George have just told Sylvia that his parents were dead? Oh, that's good. Yeah, that that would have gotten him extra points. I had I didn't think about that. Yeah, one. I think that that's Rob a much team, guys. <laughs> that's a much better story. My parents are dead. Uh, I just moved into their house. I'm going to be changing this all up as opposed to it almost makes no sense as to why he's offering her prune juice. They're listening to the Ray Conniff singers. Yeah. Or like even if he didn't want to say dead, which I think now is probably the answer. If he said, like, I take care of them, um, you know, I'm such a good guy. They just happen to be away at like their sister right now. But like in general, um, you know, I live with them because they can't take care of themselves. And I'm such a hero that I, I help them out. I don't know if that would if that would be good. I don't know if like a lady's gonna be interested in a guy who like spends all his time taking care of his parents. But yeah, I think the dead thing is better. <laughs> what do you think of uh, George's outfit here for the date? Uh, I don't need. I didn't even notice it. I never it's noticed like suit the jacket, uh, <laughs> like button up shirt. Now, in terms of like, what did this date entail? Was it just hey, why don't you come to my house? And then boom, this is like. Just like, was there dinner involved? Right. Could have been like, hey, the store's around the corner. So just come by after work. Just come by after work. And this woman is having <laughs> sex with George. I mean, she listen, she's Boy, a free Sylvia. spirit. She shows up. She shows up 45 minutes late for work. Yeah. You know, and, and ignores the boss when he says, like, what's going on? I mean, there's not a drop of alcohol on this date. That's well, maybe they went to dinner and they were drinking at dinner. Perhaps. Perhaps. Are you assuming that nobody is going home with George unless they're drunk? I'm assuming. Yes. I'm assuming that people that again, this is a pre Craigslist era. I'm assuming that you meet a woman somewhere. You don't have she doesn't come to your house and then uh, in, engage in uh, sexual congress with you. I mean, it was hammer time. You, could, you know, I you guess could do so. Certain. I guess so. They used protection. So they kept it safe. Uh, so we see Jerry buzzing up to Winona's house, wants to come in and apologize. It's interesting that she says I'll come down. Yes. She does not want to uh, really let Jerry come up. And so he is trying to uh, say that he is uh, very sorry about everything. We then see Kramer back at Elaine's house and he wants to grab the uh, cigar store Indian. Well, I think she has no use for it. So, and he also went to get, came to get his bowling ball. Yeah, he, I'm not quite sure why the bowling ball was at Elaine's house, but like did Elaine, Elaine didn't carry it on the subway and then he lost it when he got locked out of the subway. Did they I'm trying to think? Not so that sure. Kramer had it. They got on the subway. Kramer. Probably, wouldn't it make sense for the people who are driving back home to take the bowling ball from Kramer. That would like, Hey, we'll give it to you next time we see you. That probably would have made sense, but we have to see, go back and take a look in the footage. Did Elaine take the bowling ball with her when she got off the subway? Probably. It was so hurried. She probably didn't think of it and she probably just carried it on when the she subway. She left the TV guide. Well, she didn't have that in her hands when she right. was getting off. Anyway, so Kramer is going to take the cigar store Indian from Elaine. So very excited uh, for that. Also, Kramer bowled a 220. Who knew who was such a good bowler? That's pretty good. Okay. So (laughs) Jerry is talking to Winona and trying to say this was all a big misunderstanding. He didn't know. And again, Winona is sensitive about all this. And Jerry wants to take Winona to go get something to eat. Yeah, he's in the mood for Chinese. Okay. So he says he knows a Chinese restaurant. You must know where the Chinese restaurant is. And so uh, to the mailman who is around, again, what time of night is this, Akiva? Yeah. <laughs> the city that never sleeps, Rob. Mail is 24-7. 24-7. So he says to the, the mailman, uh, hey, do you know where the Chinese restaurant is? And he looks up and he is an Asian American and he is highly insulted by Jerry's question. Yeah. And we're led to believe that Jerry did not see his face before he asked the question. Again. But it's, it's a weird thing. Like, you must know where the Chinese store is. I guess he assumes... 
like the only male person he knows is Newman. Mm -hmm. Right. So I guess like it's fair to assume that like, you know, that, uh, you know, mailmen know where all the restaurants are. But if you just know Newman, I mean, is this just some U.S. postal employee who's just out at this time of night? I mean, is he on some sort of U.S. Postal Service business at like 11 o'clock at night? He must be getting crazy overtime. (laughs) The mailman gets very mad. He said, why must I know? Because I'm Chinese. You think I know where all the Chinese restaurants are? He said, uh, oh, ask Honorable Chinaman for a location of restaurant. <laughs> I did Which like way to the hamburger hot dog stand? Yeah, I he like. said, oh, hello, American Joe. Which way to hamburger hot dog stand? <laughs> I like that. Anyway, so uh, Winona is just like, you know what? That's enough. I'm just going back upstairs. Jerry had a real chance to turn this around in a big way in one night. Uh, until this uh, this little episode. Yes. And then on top of that, here comes Kramer. And uh, he's like, hey, Jerry, look what I got. And he does like uh, very making insensitive uh, Native American noises from a moving taxi. What dumb luck that Kramer just happened to be driving down this one street in Manhattan. Well, there's only two streets in Manhattan. So it was 50 50. <laughs> All right. So we end up with Jerry and George back at uh, Jerry's apartment. Jerry feels like Winona is being unfairly sensitive. He says that he would not be upset if somebody said to him, hey, which way is Israel? Uh, isn't that highly offensive? Well, first of all, it would be an absurd question, <laughs> right? Because like, but uh, but let's, it's a funnier joke when he says that. But more realistically, <laughs> if I'm walking in the city and somebody says, do you know where there's a kosher restaurant or a synagogue? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be offended, right? Mm. That would be, I would, of course I wouldn't be offended. Yeah. Who would you ask? No one's going to stop and ask you where a kosher restaurant is. You'd have no way of More knowing. More people would than you think, Akiva. Okay, but it, but I'm saying I'm wearing a yarmulke. So like, right. it, you're not guessing. The problem is, it's like, is a woman pregnant? You can't guess nationalities, right? Yeah. But if somebody's like, if I'm wearing a yarmulke or some rabbi is walking on the street, you can ask them like where there's kosher food. Uh, I don't know why you'd ask them which way is Israel. I feel like that would be like a hate crime. <laughs> like, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah unless you have a compass i mean do you really know i mean why do you need to know i guess like are you going there right now <laughs> yeah it's a fair question okay so i think i had originally said that they were at jerry's apartment but they're actually at george's parents house because george's parents are about to come in back from the trip and uh they ask estelle how was the trip and she's just basically like uh your father <laughs> I mean, by the way, if you ever ask old people how their vacation is, that's basically what you get. Yeah. You hear about the weather, like, oh, the weather was terrible, or there was some, like, uh, issue with, uh, you know, someone was mean to them and it ruined the whole trip for them. Mm-hmm. It's never like, oh, it was amazing. Uh, you know, I can't wait to go again, even so, though they always go again. So she's just off to go upstairs. So she goes up to the bedroom, and Frank wants to know where the mail is. Where is the TV guide? It's such a dad thing to come in and immediately wonder where the mail is, right? Where's the mail? Now, was this a bad job by George by letting Elaine walk out of the house with the TV guide? He has to know who his father is. He has to know Frank Costanza is obsessed with the TV guide. How could he let Elaine walk out of the house with the TV guide? Yeah, my only question is, uh, did he see it? Did he see it? We have to go back. Because they were kind of running out. Elaine was kind of running out. We'd have to like really, you know, focus in on it. Like, is he watching when Elaine, when Jerry's like, hey, take this. George might be in another part of the room. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Estelle is going to come down and very quickly she has found something in her bed. It is as George, it is as Frank Costanza would describe it, a prophylactic wrapper. 
Speaking of people still stuck with the language from their their best day. Yeah. But I think it's funny for two reasons. One, I I don't know. I, I guess they did talk about condoms from where uh, Bob Sacamano worked at the condom factory. But it's good that it's, you know, it makes it more uh, PG friendly. And it's also very funny to hear Frank Costanza talk about prophylactic. Yeah, you're allowed to say condom on TV. Yes. And so... <laughs> We end up with, what is this doing in my bed? And uh, Jerry is just like, uh, you know, I'll see you later. (laughs) Is there a way for George to talk himself his way out of this here? I mean, he doesn't even try. It is very un-George-like to not even attempt uh, to fabricate something. Because George could say, like, look at me. Who's coming back to this place? Like, nobody is coming back to this place. Yeah. But he, he can't say, like, I had it on... And I was on my I was by myself because then she's going to send them to like the mental hospital again. Right. Is there some story that he could have come up with either to say, I don't know whose this is or to say, you know, Jerry and I got into a water balloon fight. Is there some reason that he could say he could say like Jerry's a comedian and it was a prop. But why is it in the bed? Or he could do what he always does. Why doesn't he blame Elaine who Frank Costanza already hates? Hmm. And Blamo is like, I don't know. I had like, I, I went out for 20 minutes. It was just Elaine and uh, my friend, uh, you know, Bob Sacamano here. And yeah. uh, I didn't know. They also said no parties. So I think that that would, he would be in trouble no matter what. But maybe, I mean, does it do anything if it's like, it wasn't me having sex in your bed. It was somebody else. Like, does that make things better or worse? I think it brings Frank's rage mostly to the other person. <laughs> George still gets grounded, but maybe one week instead of two. Yeah. So Jerry does a funny job of leaving here. And Frank wants to know, this. so you were having sex on our bed. And uh, George says, yes. <laughs> the cops do it. <laughs> a rare moment where George has no lie at the ready. And it's really great. Frank's line that he says, uh, <laughs> we were gone two weeks and you turn our house into Bourbon Street. <laughs> Is that where this cause- Stanzas were? Were they in New Orleans? I don't think so. <laughs> and so Estelle says she can't sleep in the bed anymore. I, shouldn't they be proud of their bum son, as, Elaine, as Estelle calls him? Like, why are they so disappointed? Like, he used to, you know, be using like Cosmo magazines, and now he's picking up attractive women and bringing them back. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> I would think that maybe Frank Estelle would be a little proud of George. Maybe he is, but deep, you know, deep down, he can't let Estelle know. Yes. And Estelle says, I can't sleep in the bed anymore. And Frank says, that's it. You're grounded. And George uh, retorts, I'm a grown man. You can't ground me. He says, as long (laughs) as you live in this house, you have to respect the rules. You're grounded. Oh, boy. We don't know how long, though. Yes. (laughs) We don't know how long. Or what the terms of grounded are. I do feel like that that's one of my criticisms of this episode is that I feel like that this does not really come to a head. This is such a great setup for a story. And then, you know, it would be really fun if like George has like another date with the woman from the furniture store and he has to sneak out at night or something like that. Yeah, that would be really funny. There's no deleted scene, but I, it would be funny if, uh, you know, if right, if George like could it, you know, they want the gang wants to go somewhere and George is grounded. They should have paid it off that yeah, way. It's almost like that. This is the setup but, and that you're grounded almost is the payoff to all this. Yeah, it's funny. It's worth it. It's still worth. They shouldn't have excised the joke. Like it's still good, but it's, it's great. It's great. I really, I would have liked to have seen more on this story and less on the cigar store Indian story. Yeah, and it's worth saying that Frank and Estelle are in, uh, like peak performance already. It's great. Like Estelle is freaking Fantastic out. Frank stuff. is screaming. They're yes. already 
playing their A game. All right. So uh, Jerry and Winona are over together at Winona's house. Things are going better. Jerry wants to take her out to dinner, but then he almost says to her that he made reservations. Now he's sort of like being overly sensitive about that, that, you know, that she might be offended if he uses the word reservations. Uh, do you find did this hold up for you, Akiva? I think it was funny. I actually didn't have a problem with it. There's no reason why Jerry should have a problem saying the word reservations. That's not offensive. I do like the idea of like, if you put in your mind, like, don't say this word, don't say this word. There's like an 80% chance you're going to say it. But uh, I see why if you if you, it didn't work for you, I see why. No, I just felt like that compared to the other stuff going on at George's house. I think that this is a, a lot less funny than what's going on, uh, you know, with the Costanzas. Yeah. And listen, it, sometimes it happens where the A story is a flop, but the B and the C stories are much better. Okay. And then also that he got tickets from a scalper. He doesn't want to say the scalper to Winona. But then <laughs> he looks at the TV guide that's on the dresser and he says, oh, hey, is that the Mark McEwen TV guide? And do you know who Mark McEwen is? I didn't know who he was. <laughs> yes. He's another uh, American uh, TV and radio personality who happens to be uh, an African-American with a mustache. I will say history has been kinder to Al Roker. He definitely won the war there. Yes. Uh, is this a problem, Jerry, confusing Mark McEwen and Al Roker? Again, it's not racist. They're just playing up at this stereotype of like Jerry making all these like huge faux pas. I there's nothing wrong with Jerry doing that. I don't know why he's guessing, but maybe like Al Roker wasn't that famous yet. I don't know. Yeah, I think that he had just begun from like sort of like a local channel four person to sort of national prominence on the today show uh yeah and, and that's probably why they were able to get him because it's on nbc uh yeah, yeah i've never heard of the other guy but uh i'll give jerry a pass here well i'll tell you the other connection between jerry seinfeld al roker and me is that all three of us are alumni of the state university of new york at oswego oswego state university oh boy so there's like a seinfeld wing a well, roker wing Jerry went there, wing? I think for like a year or two. Oh, he didn't graduate. He did not graduate from Oswego. Al Roker did. Al Roker does a lot of stuff with Oswego. He's probably the most famous alumni of Oswego. Um, and then, uh, you know, neither of them talked to me. So in terms of that, I, I think that Al Roker and Jerry Seinfeld might have been there around the same time also. Oh, so you think they actually are college buddies, possibly? I don't know if they were college buddies, but I'm sure I have a feeling that there had been like they had uh, at least in terms of like th that had come up between the two of them. Oh, by the way, notable, uh, notable alumni on the SUNY Oswego uh, page. Uh, you were there on Wikipedia on Wikipedia. Yeah, not oh, yeah. On not, anything I mean, <laughs> from Oswego. Oh, uh, of course. You. Yeah. Also, the great Linda Cohn. Yeah. On and there. Steve Levy. Oh, man, it's like an ESPN uh, and Wayne Levy, who's apparently a golfer, but I've never heard of him. Yeah. Christ Christopher Maloney, the bass guitarist for Dweezil Zappa. <laughs> so, so it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a veritable who's who. <laughs> it's all happening. Oh, and Cousin Sal also, which I think you've mentioned before. Yes, Cousin yes. He's a lot older than you, though. It's all happening. Uh, Swigo.edu. Okay. Not a paid endorsement. So <laughs> anyway, uh, Elaine is with Jerry and uh, they are going to deliver the TV guide that Jerry takes from Winona's house to Mr. Costanza. Yeah. And all will be fine with the world. Everything will be good. Then we see a uh, quick cutaway to the crazy guy from the Elaine stalker from the train cutting up the TV guide. Yeah. Uh, I think the uh, credits give him a name. 
Uh, I think he's Ricky, but I don't believe we ever hear his name. We don't. Okay. All right. So here comes Kramer. And he wants to know if Elaine talked to her boss about the coffee table book about coffee tables. And Elaine does not think it's such a hot idea. Jerry actually thinks it's a good idea. It's such a crazy idea that it's, it's funny. So why not? Yeah. As they said about the cigar store Indian a number of times, it's kitschy. I think people would do it as a joke, especially Kramer's idea about if it has a built-in coaster. Yes, which really kills when he does, you know, we see this come to fruition in the opposite in the season finale. Uh, and it kills on on live with Regis and, and uh, Kathy, right? Regis and Kathy, right? Now we had we needed a coaster earlier in the episode. Should this have tied in at all? I mean, he was talking about coffee tables when he was there, but but the fact know, it, that they had to refinish the coffee table because Jerry didn't have a coaster. I mean, this is genius. Yeah, or you could just use books and like coffee table That's books as you. yeah. your coaster, sure. And then you spill in the books, and then your wife gets mad at you. At least that's what happens to me. No, that does not happen to me. We don't have any nice books. Do you have any books? Um, not anywhere near where uh, my wife is. Okay. So then uh, Kramer is going to uh, then try to take the cigar store Indian to a cigar store and try to flip it. Why is this Kramer's to make a profit off of? I'm not sure, but okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, why Jerry can't return it. It was Elaine. She gave it to Kramer. Now he's taking it out to sell. I mean, that's pretty vintage Kramer. What, do we know what it costs? We don't know what it costs. We don't know what they spent on it. For a foam board, uh, you know, five pound cigar store Indian. I can't imagine very much. I think Kramer makes a handsome profit. Yeah, it definitely wasn't $500. Okay. All right. So Frank Costanza is still ranting about the TV guide as he's watching TV with George. How could she just take the TV guide? And then here comes Ricky to the door. He's looking for Elaine who does not live here and is not welcome at this house, according to Frank Costanza. Yeah, I'm telling you, George should have just thrown her under the bus. Yes. <laughs> also, Ricky has made a bouquet of flowers from the TV guide. Is this a practical thing? This is something Joel Rifkin would do, if you know <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> this, is, this is what a psychopath does. Yeah, that would turn off Elaine. Do you know any women who would be interested in a bouquet of paper? It's just a bouquet of paper mm -hmm. from a magazine. Like, people who cut up magazines, that's like a classic serial killer move. Do you think this guy, you know, maybe he is a serial killer? I don't think he's a serial killer, but I think that, yeah, you're right. I think that he does not He's have, not cool enough to be a serial killer. Right. He doesn't have a finger on the pulse of uh, what women are into. Not a paper mache bouquet. I mean, he must have spent a lot of time on this. So he ends up seeing that George and Frank are watching The Twilight Zone. He says, oh, this is a good one. What episode do you think it was? I've never seen an episode of The Twilight oh, Zone. Oh, come on, Akiba. Should I, I have homework for next week. I'll put it on the list. All right, so we see Elaine now on the subway. She wants a gyro. Elaine is going to uh, make a run for the gyro. She ends up uh, deciding to uh, push a woman out of the way to go get the gyro. Now, she doesn't even have the money in her hand. The money's not in her hand. The woman's not really in her way. This is crazy for Elaine. It was pretty crazy. All right, so we go back to uh, Jerry and Winona. Now they're at Jerry's house. She needs that TV guide back because she want, needs to write an article about minorities in the media. She needs to reference something in that TV guide. Akiva, how yeah. insane is this that she's writing an article and she actually needs that copy of TV guide back? It's, it's pretty coincidental, but it's also funny like back then, you know, because it's not like you could get it from a newsstand yeah. anymore because this is what I'm saying, Akiva. Yeah, <laughs> the. Uh, the the, the LexisNexis uh, requirement of uh, the getting the TV guide back oh, for yeah, research. Yeah, yeah. It's, you can't even go to the library because they might have like a Time magazine, 
but they don't have the TV guide on file at the library, right? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. I mean, that's so crazy about this. That's what about like the dated. Library of Congress? Do they have the TV guides on file? Probably. <laughs> Probably. But again, and uh, like it is sort of like an easy plot hole because even then, and they do realize this at the end, like if you wrote the TV guide and offered them 20 bucks, they'll send you two weeks ago's TV guide. <laughs> or you tell them you never got it, they'll send it to you for free. They send you back issues of TV guide? If you said, I have every issue since, you know, 1964. Right. Can you send me this issue? I'm willing to pay for it. I can't imagine that's a big problem. Okay. So she wants it back and Jerry says, you can't have it back. You already gave it away. And then what do you, uh, and then we have a whole thing. Wait, what, what are you going to say? Nothing, nothing. She just says, are you going to say that I'm an Indian giver? And he's like, no, I'm not familiar with that term. I did like how he handled it. It was funny. Obviously, you can't say Indian giver now. I am curious how much less offensive maybe it was uh, 22 years ago, but it, it's possible back then it was. Th- I mean, clearly, it's bad enough that he doesn't say it. But I wonder if like I remember, say, you know, it's definitely something we said as little kids, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like that's how we're familiar with the term. But I wonder if it was like sli- like more acceptable then or it was or or not. Obviously, now I don't think you can you can say it. But yeah, I don't know. All right, so back at uh, George's house, the guy, Ricky, is going through all the TV guides with Frank Costanza and talking about, you know, the, the collector's issues and the fall TV previews. Here comes Elaine. He says about Elaine, Ricky says, uh, you look scrumptious. Again, that's something a serial killer would say. <laughs> yeah. He's going to eat her. And so, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, maybe uh, the, the uh, To Serve Man episode of The Twilight Zone was on. Right, uh, come on, Rob. Yeah, <laughs> not one person got that. Joke. Oh, come on! No, more than many people did. At least not one. ten. At least at least ten. Okay. So then Frank Costanza is upset because the TV guide has stains all over it. Yeah, because we had just seen Elaine eating a gyro on the subway, and it like the sauce dripped onto the guide. Yes, and Ricky says, "Hey, you can't talk to her like that." Look at Ricky standing up for Elaine. Yeah, and then the coffee table somehow gives out. Yeah, again, this isn't clear. Like, there should have been something more happening. He just, like, knocks it over doing nothing. Yeah, there was no, like, pratfall or anybody, like, knocked it over. Just the coffee table just, like, disintegrates. And so then we cut to Kramer at the cigar store. Uh, Mr. Lipman is there, and uh, he wants to buy the cigar store Indian that Kramer is trying to sell to the guy from the cigar store. Is this too much of a coincidence for you? Well, he, it's, you know, Kramer is the one going to the store next to Pendant Publishing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Why wouldn't the CEO just be at the cigar store next door? He smokes cigars. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of fortuitous timing stuff in this episode. Okay. So he's going to buy the cigar store Indian for 500 bucks. That seems like that's an incredible profit. You can't imagine that Jerry spent $500 on the cigar store Indian. What kind of a businessman is Lippman that he starts at $500? I don't know. Maybe he's been really looking for it. Uh, yeah, but still, start at 100 If the guy's like, no, 500 you say okay. Maybe he needs you as a, a negotiator for pendant. Or if you're that rich, maybe he's like the CEO. If you're that rich, maybe you don't care about money. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think there's a reason why pendant publishing probably is not still in business. Yeah, but I mean, I, see, I don't know. Like, you know, there's people who like go to grocery stores and then look at prices and they just buy whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, what, what we need, Rob, is a rich guy correspondent to let us know. Rich guy correspondent. We need a really wealthy person to let us know, like, is that, is that something a rich person would do? Just like offer a fair price instead yeah. of trying to get a good deal? I don't know. If you were looking for somebody who is a correspondent of a person that goes to the grocery store and doesn't look at what anybody costs, <laughs> I could ask my wife to be on the podcast. Oh, uh, boy. I wish there was a, uh, a bell to ring there. 
All right. Listen, so, it's not her fault you live in uh, Los Angeles and the closest store is probably like, there's probably like 14 Whole Foods and uh, Trader <laughs> Joe's or whatever. Yeah. Trader Joe's, don't knock Trader Joe's. Oh yeah, you're pro Trader Joe's, you're anti Whole Foods, I forgot. <laughs> I'm not anti Whole Foods. I think that's a little bit, uh, I, it, uh, we don't need to go get into the supermarket politics of the Sesternino house. Okay, fine. All right. So Nobody fun- tell Elaine we talked about this. I mean, not Elaine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't tell Elaine either. Nicole. <laughs> Julia, did you hear on this uh, Seinfeld podcast, uh, they started talking about grocery stores. Speaking of somebody who doesn't need to look at prices when she goes shopping. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> Kramer it ends up helping Mr. Lipman get the cigar store Indian into his office. It turns out that he is working on a Southwestern motif in his office. Kramer pitches Mr. Lipman on the the coffee table book about coffee tables, and he's very impressed with this. And he says to Elaine, why aren't you bringing me ideas like this? What do you do around here? Even harsher. That's like uh, very harsh, Mr. Lipman. Oh, boy. Elaine. I mean, it is true. Like, she's going bowling during work. She's not really doing anything. So then we see Estelle at the furniture refinishing store with Sylvia and she immediately recognizes the coffee table. Oh, this is George Costanza's coffee table. And Estelle says, no, that's not his coffee table. It's mine. I'm his mother. He doesn't, he doesn't work. He lives at home. But again, no real payoff to any of this. No. And she says he's a bum. Yeah. Um, I wrote, who talks like that about their son? Like, this is, there's a reason why George is such a mess and he's such a bad person. Yeah. Like, his parents really ruined him. Like, they gave him no confidence. It, like, a really cool parent would be like, when they realized what was going, it's like, oh, yeah, this is George's. He's the greatest person in the world. You know, you should totally date him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess she is mad that Sylvia may have, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, had a good time with George in her bed. So she's probably still, she's a, little still a little hard about that. <laughs> Fair enough. And she's not happy about all that. OK, so anyway, we end up with Elaine back on the subway. And uh, she says that uh, with Jerry that they could get the TV guide from ordering the TV guide. So they have the new TV guide. That's all good. And so they're going to try to get another gyro. And so we end up seeing that Jerry goes to get the gyro. He can't get back in. Al Roker, a heavy set Al Roker, walks in, takes Jerry's gyro and sits down. Very realistic. <laughs> Al Roker looks so different. I mean, he lost a lot of weight. That was like, that's like the whole big, you know, that's, that's his thing. He loses weight and then he gains it and then he loses it. <laughs> Is that the thing? He's really that up and down? I'm not sure. I, I'm, not, I'm not really following. I've been deviating on the Today Show, but I'm 20 years behind, so I don't know. <laughs> This is a spoiler. Uh, oh, yeah. That Al well, Rucker is going to lose a lot of weight. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. And uh, that is the end of the episode proper. Uh, Jerry talks about how the TV guide is always thrown around the house. And again, uh, not a particularly relevant piece of stand-up comedy. Yeah, but I forgot that they have the 95-centimeter hotline to answer the crossword puzzle, which is insane. <laughs> yeah. Like, what a con- what a bunch of con artists they were at TV Guide. Yeah. Like the New York Times, does the New York Times have that? Maybe they do also. I don't know. I don't know. But we're talking about the TV Guide, the crossword puzzle, 95-centimeter hotlines. So very, very much a hammer time piece of stand-up from Jerry. Yeah. I feel like the the dollar a minute or five dollar a minute hotlines have basically gone the way of the dodo yeah not too many of those uh going on now in uh 2015 okay akiva we've touched on so many of the things that would not hold up if this episode was in uh 2015 i think that the uh political correctness 
would be much more prominent. It wouldn't be like, oh my God, I forgot I was being uh, racially insensitive. I think that that would be uh, a much bigger sin in 2015 in terms of everything with the uh, TV guide, ordering the TV guide. And then uh, what else? I feel like there was more there was more stuff as well. Yeah, they might have gotten rid of that entire uh, plot line or changed it, you know, or, or tried to be more sensitive with it. The other things are Kramer could self-publish a coffee table book, a coffee tables. Yeah, I guess you could do that. There could be a lot of self-publishing. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's no gyros on the subway anymore. Okay. And obviously anything with the TV guide is uh, I, I, we, well, I think we, we discussed this like a few seasons ago. That the TV guide does exist, but they don't have episode listings anymore. Mm. It's just like a magazine. It's like Entertainment Weekly about TV, I think. Okay. All right. Akiva, where did you rank the Cigar Store Indian? Yeah, it's a really up and down episode because there are some pretty like high highs. There's a few really good jokes in there. Uh, like we said, everything with George's parents, you know, George getting busted with the prophylactic, even some of the like Winona stuff, like when Jerry's, you know, making a fool of himself in Elaine's apartment is funny. But then there's also a lot of things that don't pay off or don't hold up. So I have the Cigar Store Indian at 122. Okay. There you go. And it could, a lot of people would have that much higher, honestly. Really? People would have it much higher? I think some people really like uh, the Cigar Store Indian. Yeah. I think the stuff with uh, George is, again, fantastic. And the stuff with uh, Jerry and Winona, I feel like, is uh, very uh, pedestrian. Oh, uh, that's fair. So let's jump into talking about our email. Of course, that comes in every week. Seinfeld at Post Show Recaps. Let me headline our email where last week we said that we needed an attractive woman correspondent for the show. What was the reason why we needed an attractive woman correspondent? Well, we don't know anything about women. So I think we had, (laughs) I think we just had some questions for like how a woman would act in situations. I don't remember what exactly precipitated it. Last week was the masseuse. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think like, you know, I, like, I mean, it was, you know, it was a lot about like, oh, you know, should you let your friend uh, get a massage from another woman? I don't remember what the. Yeah, what I think really... that was it. If you <laughs> something, something along those lines. Anyway, so we got an email uh, from a woman who happens to be named uh, Elaine. Oh, boy. What a coincidence. What a coincidence. I feel like that's too cute. I feel like it can't too be cute. true. You think we're being catfished? We might be. We might be being catfished. <laughs> All right. So you tell me if we're being uh, catfished or not. Uh, This is from Elaine who says, uh, hey, Robin Akiva, I was listening to the podcast the other day and I was already planning on contacting you guys to see if I could be your sidekick. Uh, I don't know if we're open to a sidekick, but uh, this is a application. Depends on how attractive I think. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, And then Elaine gives us a uh, a top 10 list. Oh, boy. I want to hear it. Number 10. I watched the original episodes of Seinfeld starting in my early 20s and since then have watched the reruns regularly. So I know a lot. These are, and these are her top 10 reasons why she thinks she could be our attractive woman correspondent. Just yes. To be clear, right? Yes. And then says uh, she could beat 90% of the other people on the face of the earth in Seinfeld Trivia Showdown. Again, I'm not sure if she's applying to be our sidekick or the attractive woman correspondent. I mean, she was qualified and accepted to be the attractive woman correspondent at the moment she hit send. Yeah. I mean, there was, uh, we got uh, one email about There was the no competition for this position. <laughs> so the job is hers, but let's keep going with the list. Yes. Uh, she says that uh, she also is uh, not only attractive, but does not have man hands. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Uh, she uh, is prepared and podcast worthy. Again, she says, who wouldn't love a girl from New Jersey to be on your weekly call? Again, I don't, I, I don't know if we're looking for a sidekick, just somebody to, to bounce uh, emails off of in terms of, you know, if we have a question. 
Yeah, it's hard enough to get two people in a room. Three is impossible. Yes. Okay. Uh, and then there's a couple, a couple other reasons. Okay. So, what do you think of this? Accepted? Yeah, she's hired. Okay, she's hired. Not, but I don't know. I will. Is she willing to accept the position of the attractive oh, that's a good woman question. correspondent or only sidekick? She did leave her phone number, so in theory, we could call her. <laughs> okay, and ask her. I don't know if you want to do all right, that. Well, I will email. I will email Elaine back and see uh, what she thinks about all this. Okay. <laughs> also, uh, our medical correspondent wanted to uh, check in. Uh, Thomas, who said uh, last week, you talked about whether or not it would be strange for a doctor to see uh, their partner's friend as a patient. Uh, I don't think this would be too uncomfortable, but it depends on two main things. One, what sort of relationship do you have with the patient and what sort of medicine you're practicing? Yeah. And we sort of phrased it, I think, last week as like, would it be okay for like from the guy perspective? But let's say like we just one of our other medical medical correspondents, Chester's wife, like would Chester be okay if his friends went to uh, his wife as their like primary physician? Mm -hmm. You know, something like that. That's a good question, really. Right. Uh, hernia examinations, the works. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you might have to like, look, you know, what's going on down there. And I don't know, like, so yeah. I guess it depends on the person. Some people probably don't care. Yeah. DRE, uh, the works, everything. I'm sure she's very professional, Dr. Chester. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure. But that, that, how did that, and I'm sure that between the, between, uh, Dr. Chester, but, he, but and Chester's friend, friends might not be so professional. Fine. Yeah. Does, does, yeah. how does he feel about this? It's a good question. We got to get back to it. We got he has to get back to us. Okay. On this. We also asked had the Pope come up in Seinfeld. Uh, Paul writes to us and says uh, he enjoyed our discussion on the Pope, and he says that in the yada yada episode, Tim Watley tells Jerry a joke about the Pope and Raquel Welch. Jerry right. then goes to the priest and tells him that, uh, that he's surprised that the priest isn't more offended. Right, I forgot about that one. I was thinking more like you know like the Pope appearing stuff like that. But good call by Paul. Paul. Okay. All right. Johnny DeSilvera writes to us about uh, the Cigar Store Indian. Wants to know, uh, is there anything that you two collect that is unique and different? Oh, I don't know. Pogs? No, I don't collect Pogs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Dude, were you collector. too old for Pogs or, or you were still in the Pogs I think zone? I was probably too old for that. You were probably like a year too old when Pogs <laughs> I came. Just, I missed it by that much. Do you collect anything, though? Do I collect anything? <sighs> Not really. I don't really... Uh, have a collection of anything no i think that collecting things was a lot more novel pre-internet like i feel like if i could just go on ebay and get the whole thing that i'm trying to collect i feel like it is uh, a less endearing uh totally hobby. right because back then like oh you need to get the autograph from the person now you can just go and buy you know someone else's autograph so mm-hmm. i you know and the same thing with coins or stamps or whatever the classic things people collect so i agree Collecting is on the way down. We touched on this at one point that uh, my dad uh, used to collect uh, a penny from every year. I don't think I ever heard that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I give collecting uh, one and a half stars. Does that, is the collection still in existence or no? Uh, yeah, it's probably, you know, still like he has a you know, dresser with, uh, with his stuff. But, uh, you know, we have not, uh, I don't know who between... Uh, Who's going to get the rights to the penny collection? That has not There's been There's no discussed. big sibling fight me, over the pennies. Me and my brother and my sister. It's going to tear you guys apart, the penny collection. Yes, yes. All right. Amir writes to us and says, when Kramer and Elaine take the train from Queens of Manhattan, they're shown taking a six train. The six only goes through Manhattan and the Bronx. For a show that takes pride in the nuances in living in New York, this is lazy and disappointing oversight. Yeah, I agree. I, they got to get the trains right. There has to be a guy on staff who knows the trains. I feel like this is the second or third. Third time that's already happened. Okay. Also, Amir wants to know, 
Since Kramer's last big idea, a perfume that smells like the beach was stolen by an executive that he brought it to a Calvin Klein, should Kramer have learned his lesson and not been so cavalier about casually mentioning the fantastic coffee table book with another industry executive? That's a good point. I know Kramer's business sense isn't great, but I do think, you know, he's got to patent this idea before he does anything with it. All right. Finally, Amir says uh, that this episode was made nowadays. Would the writers have made Jerry a Redskins fan? Uh, the Washington professional football team, you mean? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that ties in very well. He would have had like someone would have bought him a Redskins jacket and she would have been horrified by it or something like a starter jacket because it was 1993. <laughs> yeah. OK, so uh, more on that. All right. Finally, uh, Chester says, also, we see the Costanza address on TV Guide. They list the zip code as 11351, but the correct zip code for 1344 Queens Boulevard is 11374. Uh, Chester, you're mentally ill for Googling that. (laughs) (laughs) So good to know. All right, Kiba, what's coming up next week? By the way, we should mention that. Uh, we should mention that. That should be our lead in when we speak to Jerry next uh, time. Yeah, the zip code. You guys messed up the zip code. Uh, next week, we have the conversion. I feel like we've, we've uh, touched on this episode a lot because we love the Kavorka and we're finally going to get to you know, see more about the Kavorka next week. Yes. Okay. So we will talk about the Kavorka uh, next week on the show. Do you have any ideas for the hashtag this week, Akiva? Uh, don't kill us, Dr. Oz. <laughs> what about something shorter? Okay. No, that's really racist. No, I'm just joking. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to. I don't know how to spell prophylactic. Yeah, no. you know how to spell let's prophylactic. Not, let's not go there. Okay, I know somebody about Al Roker. Uh, let's see. Uh, I don't want to say fat Al Roker. No, we don't want that. And like Al Roker's probably on Twitter. We don't want him to. Someone's gonna. You know, there's always some jerk who like tags the guy. Yeah, like you know, you're supposed to subtweet when you say something you mean, right? Anybody that antagonizes Al Roker is a real a hole that I wouldn't want to associate myself with. Oh yeah, yeah. If you mess with Al Roker, you mess with us. That's right. That's right. Al Roker is is. Uh, I'm Team Al Roker. He's an American treasure. That's what he is. Yeah. Uh, but smells like dandruff. <laughs> okay, sure. A ringing endorsement for the Seinfeld podcast. All right, there you go. All right, so we will be back uh, next week to talk about the conversion. Uh, Very much looking forward to that. Thank you to Mike Moore, who writes our outstanding episode recaps, and Scott St. Pierre, who uh, does really just an amazing job of uh, putting this uh, podcast all together, and you guys have no idea how many mistakes we make along the way. Yeah, it's it's innumerable. If you guys only knew. All right, Akiva, anything else before we sign off? Oh, uh, let me plug uh, 32 Fans in 30 Days. We 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 didn't do it live in person this week, but Chester and I... We uh, did the power rankings, uh, counting down from 32 to 1, ranking uh, all the NFL teams at the quarter pole this season. And uh, I'm sure we got everything right, just like when I predicted the Dolphins would win the Super Bowl before the season started. Okay, there you go. All right, everybody, have a good one. Looking forward to uh, hearing you guys in your comments on postshowrecaps.com. You can subscribe to the podcast at postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. We always appreciate your feedback and your star ratings in the iTunes store because it helps more people find the show. Postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. Have a good one, everybody. Take care. Bye.